Well, I am extremely excited to start this new series today called Stop Acting Like a Christian. And the heart behind this series over the next few weeks is simply to help us understand what it means to be a Christian and what that looks like and uh, how Christian we are is sometimes judged in the wrong ways. And uh, I don't want to be guilty of uh, misleading you to think that you are a better or worse Christian based on some certain behaviors in your life, but based on what Scripture teaches us about that. Um, I use the phrase, stop acting like a Christian, because so many times when we act like things, it's because we don't possess the attributes of the things that we're acting like. Let me give you some examples. My son Landon, you know he's extremely creative. I talk about him a lot. Uh, He acts like firemen. He acts like Policeman. Why does he act like one? Because he's not that. He has dreams and aspirations to be one. But if I go to a firefighter, they don't act like a firefighter because they are a firefighter. Does that make sense? Like they don't have to pretend to be something because they are something. No one has, no, no one has to teach you to be a dad and you don't have to pretend to be a dad if you're a dad. You don't have to pretend to be a grandmother if you're a grandmother and you don't have to pretend to be a school teacher if you're a school teacher. And in the same way, you don't have to act like a Christian if you're a Christian. And so my goal throughout this series is simply to give you some freedom when it comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ that isn't based on appearances to man, to other people in a church, to people in your community, that isn't based on ideals that are not rooted firmly in Scripture, but that's based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now... When we are extremely passionate about something, we tend to go overboard, above and beyond, to try to pursue the things that we're passionate about. Maybe you remember when you were pursuing a relationship with a spouse. Let me, let me have some confession time with you here. Something that my wife gives me a hard time about even to this day. Uh, Lindsay and I met through one of her former college roommates. And the first time that we spoke on the phone, um, I just uh, was intrigued by her. And uh, we spoke for hours the first week that we had ever met on the phone. And um, I set up a time for us to meet in person. And so through our conversation, I began to realize that my wife, Lindsay, loved sports and I love sports. And I thought it would be most appropriate for me to create a safe environment for her to think that I'm not some lunatic that's calling her out of the blue trying to like stalk her. And so I say to Lindsay, you know, I've got a group of guys, we play football on Sunday afternoons, and you should come and just play football with us. She says, really, you guys play football? I said, yeah, on Sunday afternoons we get together, we just, you know, play a little bit of football, have some fun, hang out, you should totally come. It was, it was positioned on her route from her home where she was going to be visiting that weekend to uh, her school. And so she agreed. And she came to play football. It was the first time that I ever met her face-to-face. And after I saw her throw a football, I was in love. But in my mind, I had to make this an absolutely incredible experience for her. It was our first time meeting. So she told me she was going to be running a little late. And so, of course, I had the shirt off while we were playing football. (laughs) I'd worked up a nice glistening sheen on my body and up walks this blonde-headed girl that I just knew 
was Lindsay. And so we finished playing a couple of downs, and I jogged over to Lindsay. I said, hey, great to have you here. You know, you want to play? And, uh, you know, just trying to put my best foot forward. I'm so embarrassed about it as we look back on it now. And she came out and played with us, and we had a great time. And we went to Zaxby's of all places and had dinner with a few other couples that night. And four months later, we were engaged. Six months later, we were married. And it was all because of flag football. It was all because we got together to make a great first impression. Now, what Lindsay came to find out after we had been together for some time is that I never got together with friends to play flag football. In fact, we were just talking a couple of months ago about the fact that I have never gotten a group together in the four months that we dated, in the six months that we were engaged, in the seven plus years that we've been married to play football. Not once have I done it, but in the moment, I was searching for a way to pursue this young lady. And I found common ground, and I called as many friends as I could, and I said, please, I need you to come meet me out at Herman C. Michael Park. We're going to play some football. It's going to be great. We're going to have a great time. And I got some guys to come out and a few ladies to come out so she wouldn't feel betrayed. And, and she showed up, and it was a great time. And then I never did it again because our relationship progressed from there. You remember times in your life where you were passionate about a job or you were passionate about a relationship or you were passionate about an opportunity and in an effort to put your best foot forward, you did things that you don't normally do in order to make a great first impression. You probably can think of things now that you've done. And when you look back on your life, you think that was, that was kind of crazy that I would do that and go to that extent just to try to impress, just to try to gain this opportunity but we do things that we don't normally do when we're passionate about pursuing things. And the same goes with a relationship for Jesus Christ. So many times, especially when we're passionate about following Jesus, we feel like we have to put our best foot forward. And we feel like we have to impress people and we have to impress God. And we don't want to let anyone down. And so we tend to do things that are outside of our normal Character, And if we're not careful, we can get caught up in those moments and we can get caught up in the excitement of the pursuit of the passion and find ourselves doing things that aren't genuine, that aren't heartfelt, that don't reflect our true heart, what's on the inside of us. And before long, we're building these exterior facades and masks that cause us to think that what it takes to keep the heart of God is the things that we thought impressed the heart of God. And we can be so far from what he's searching for or what he expects of us simply because we allowed ourselves to work from the outside in instead of the inside out. And so we act like Christians, and if we're honest with one another, Christians aren't always the nicest people. And Christians aren't always the most honest people, and Christians aren't always a true reflection of what Scripture asks of us. And we have these ideals in our mind about what it means to act like a Christian, and it's typically a list of things that we should do and things that we should not do. And we tend to work off this 
checklist, this, this balancing scale that allows us to feel like if we do the right things and avoid the wrong things, then we have a great relationship with God. But in truth, it's possible for us to look like a Christian, yet be very far from God. Have you ever watched an award show or a sporting event and there was an interview after it was over and someone threw out the phrase, I'd like to start by thanking my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Doesn't that just get you excited that someone would use a public platform to personally declare the relationship that they have with God? That is incredible and I applaud anyone that's ever done that or ever has the opportunity to do that, but... There are those moments where it is said from people that you know don't reflect the true nature of God. And they may have just won an award for a song that they wrote that is written completely about things outside of the will of God. And they'll get an award for writing a song that's ungodly and they'll get up there and say, I'd like to first start by thanking my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what are they doing? Not to judge someone's heart, but they are acting a role, a part. And I always pray and hope that it's genuine. But so many times I hear in the news of these same people doing things that definitely don't reflect the statements that they made. And so I want to start off this series with a familiar passage of scripture. It's found in Luke chapter number 10. It's a parable that Jesus tells in response to a religious leader who asks him a question. And there are some characters identified in this story that we're going to be able to relate to. And we're going to be able to understand the true heart and the true nature of what it means to be a Christian and not just act like a Christian. Because at the end of the day, acting like something doesn't make you something. And what I want for myself and what I want for you is for us to stop acting like Christians and simply be Christians. And when we focus on relationship with God, it goes so far beyond the external appearances. Before I share the story, let me help you try to understand this through another illustration. Let's say that you're married Those of you who are married can completely relate to this. Those of you who aren't, pretend with me that you are. And let's say that when you got married, you sat down with your spouse, and you said to your spouse, what would make you happy? What would make you most happy in life? Give me a list of things that I can do that will please you, because I want to be there for you, and I want to uh, fulfill you in life. And let's just say, guys, that your wife gives you a list, and this list includes taking out the trash, and this list includes cleaning up after yourself, and this list includes uh, just some household chores and making sure the yard looks a certain way uh, and helping with the kids. And let's say that you've got a pretty long list. And let's say that for 10 years, You are perfect when it comes to this list. And at the end of 10 years, your marriage is in shambles and you're just beside yourself because you thought that obeying items on a list made you have a great relationship. But over the 10 years, you've grown distant from your wife and you haven't had quality time with her and life got busy and you worked a lot and you focused on the things that she told you would make her happy, but you never focused on getting to know her more. 
And your relationship grew cold and stale and indifferent, yet you upheld standards that you thought would determine the status of a relationship. It is possible for us to uphold ideals and check things off a list when it comes to relationship with God, but become cold and indifferent towards Him because we fail to focus on a relationship with Him. And the things that we do for God should flow from a relationship with God. Christian is not about doing, it's about being. And so I want to take you to a scripture in Luke chapter number 10, starting in verse number 25. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a parable that if you grew up in church, you are somewhat familiar with. Um, and I want to stop as we go and just, just highlight a few things for you. On one occasion... An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. This was someone who was well-versed in the law. Okay? The Jewish people had, it was estimated, 613 laws that they had created to reflect a relationship with Jesus. Things that they said, these are things that please God, and therefore we're going to make laws and, and abide by those laws in our lives. And so he was an expert in the law, and he stands up and says, Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit Eternal life, speaking to Jesus. You ever notice that this is like the, the entry door a lot of times to a relationship with God? What do I have to do to go to heaven? I understand the law. I understand things I'm supposed to do. But I just want to make sure that when I die, I'm not going to burn. And so what do I have to do? Tell me what i got to do. Give me a list. I'm going to make sure I check those things off because I do not want to pass from this life and spend eternity in a place called hell. The thought of that just sends me into a panic. And I want to make sure that I do anything that's necessary to make sure that I'm going to go to heaven. So tell me, teacher, what do I have to do for that to happen? Maybe that was the start of your relationship with God. For a lot of us it was. We thought, hey, if I'm a Christian, I get to go to heaven. And so I want to be a Christian. Sign me up. And so he says, what must I do? And listen to Jesus' response. Well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And this expert in the law answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He had heard Jesus sum up these 613 laws into two approaches to life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these two things, you will fulfill the entirety of the law. And so the expert in the law understood this. He got this. That was his reply to Jesus. And so Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But it wasn't enough for him it wasn't enough for him just to hear the things that he was supposed to do. He wanted to gain some clarity, and really he wanted to try to trap Jesus in this moment. And so he replies back to Jesus. It says he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? The whole love of the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. I get that. I'm familiar with God. I've heard of God my whole life. I know laws about God. I know what the scripture says about God. But who's my neighbor? Like if I have to love my neighbor as myself, can we define that person? Because there's certain people that I don't really want to love as myself. And if I don't have to, I definitely don't want to. 
And so if we can just kind of make that distinction and help me gain some clarity so that I'm not loving people that I don't have to and I can still make it to heaven, then that's the route I'd like to take. Can we just define who your neighbor is? And so Jesus is going to give him a parable. He's going to tell him a story to help illustrate who his neighbor is. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he, w- when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Jerusalem to Jericho. He's attacked by robbers. They strip him. They beat him. He's left half dead on the side of the road. And three people are going to pass by him. Three people who obviously are going to help this guy who has been beaten half to death. In my mind, I tend to think of uh, all these videos that are going on the internet uh, of, this, of this crazy game called Knockout where people just go up and just blindside people and just knock them out. And I can imagine seeing that happen to someone or coming up on someone that that's happened to and the need that would be for them to get help. They're helpless, they're hopeless, they're laying on the road half dead. If they don't get help, they're in trouble. And let's see what happens Jesus says, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A priest. This was a very religious person. Would have known the law of God. Would have desired to please God. Sees someone in need and passes by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to a place and saw him, passed by on the other side. A priest and a Levite. A Levite was uh, the tribe of people who were responsible for the things of God. They adhered to the law. They, they, um, they taught in the synagogues. They helped people understand. So they're kind of in the same category as the priest, just a little higher on the totem pole. And both the priest and this Levite Pass by someone who needs them in a time of difficulty. And they cross by on the other side of the road. I've often read this and thought, you know, why would they pass this guy by? And, and it's been said in study that there are some, some religious beliefs that, that didn't allow them to associate with certain types of people in, in certain conditions. And so perhaps they were just adhering to religious duties and thinking that they were upholding the law of God by letting this man lay on the roadside. But in my mind, the more I think about it, I think that they were just busy. I think that they were probably headed somewhere on this road to go do some type of ministry. That they had some obligation, that they had some place to be. Maybe they had a meeting that they had to get to. Maybe they were, were counseling with some couples in the synagogue that were going through a difficult time. Uh, maybe they had some, uh, some duties that were necessary for them. And if they didn't get there on time, the duties weren't going to happen. And people would be let down and their schedule tended to dominate their decisions. I got to thinking about myself in the midst of this, how many times I'm guilty of allowing doing things for God to keep me from seeing the heart of God. Like how many times have I been here on a Sunday morning and, and 
and I'm a task-driven type person. I just want to get things done and set up and ready to go for Sundays. But how many times have I been here doing tasks and, and finding things that need to be done and, and not have conversations with people who probably need conversation? Busy doing things to reach people when, in fact, I can be guilty of not reaching people who are already in my presence. Does that make sense? And maybe, just maybe, we get so busy in life that we don't notice the people who need us most because we're focused on the things that we're supposed to be doing. And if we're not careful, we will miss completely the heart of God and the compassion that he has for the people of this world that we'll do things in his name and we'll do things for him that we'll fail to see the importance of the people who need us most in the midst of doing those things. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan who was, according to their religious laws, not allowed to associate with Jews. He would have been seen as an outcast. He would have been seen as uh, someone unclean and unimportant. And uh, there was major racism in this day. And this Samaritan who, who would have been mistreated by Jews... Countless times, Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. This is the heart of God, is to have compassion on people, especially in their times of need. God is more concerned about what we can do for others than what we can do to make ourselves look better for him. And so he puts people in our paths. The Samaritan didn't go out of his way searching for someone in need. The Samaritan didn't hear that there was someone on that road and go there specifically to help him. But it says as he traveled, he came upon this man. And so many times in life we come upon men in this condition who need us, who are hurting. And we can be busy and pass them by, but the heart of God is to take pity on them. And listen to what he does. After he takes pity on him, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. He didn't just ask, like, is there someone I can call for you? Like, is there someone I can go get? Like, do you have family? Do you have friends? I mean, is there someone near that I can go get to, to get someone to bring you the help that you need? He didn't look to pass it off on someone else. He gave this man the best care that he could give him. And I imagine that this Samaritan was traveling somewhere because he had somewhere to be. Probably wasn't just out for a joyride. He probably just wasn't out seeing the countryside. He probably had somewhere that he needed to be. But he put some things on hold because someone needed him. And he cared for him. He bandaged his wounds he took him to an inn. He gave him housing and shelter. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. He gave this man his time. He gave this man his very best care. He gave 
money for this man. It cost him something. It was an inconvenience to him, I imagine. He probably wasn't the type of person that just loved to care for people. But because he had compassion, because he had pity on this man, he went out of his way to care for him. To make sure that this man had an opportunity to recover from the devastation that he had experienced. And so Jesus introduces us to these three characters, two who were too busy to stop and help, and one who had no business even being among the Jewish people, but stooped to a level that he didn't have to stoop to, to help this man. And Jesus asked the expert in the law this question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The obvious answer was the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I want you to notice for a second the question that Jesus asked the expert in the law. Do you remember the expert in the law's question? The expert in the law's question was, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Identify the people in my world that I'm required to love. But looks in at Jesus' question back to him. Who was the neighbor to the man? Do you see the difference? It's not about who do we have to love, who is our neighbor, but who are we the neighbor to? Who was the neighbor to the man that needed him the most? The one that had pity on him, the one that took mercy, the one that helped him. And Jesus says, you go and do likewise. Stop trying to figure out who it is that you have to love. Stop trying to meticulously craft lines in your life that distinguish things you have to do and things you don't have to do. And just be a person that has pity on people when they need you. Be a good neighbor to people you come across. This expert in the law would have never dreamed that Jesus would have said, your neighbor is a Samaritan who you don't even get along with. Because he was looking for someone to be a neighbor to him. But Jesus says, you be a neighbor to those who need you the most. Even in Jesus' relationship with his disciples, he makes it pretty clear that he's not looking for a group of people to do everything that he says, exactly how he says it, the way he says to do it. He's not concerned with people being good enough to be his followers and, and strong enough to make it through difficult situations and wise enough to make the best decisions and smart enough to know all the right answers. If we go to Matthew chapter number 4, starting in verse number 18, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And listen to Jesus' invitation to them. He says, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. I will take the skills that you have and I will transform them into what I want for your life. And listen to what they did at once. They left their nets and followed him. It wasn't like, a, hey, I got to get some things in order and I got to 
change some things before we start this thing? And can you come back in a couple of weeks and let me figure some things out? It was a simple invitation, come and follow me. And at once they left their nets and followed Jesus. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. And Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. We love the American version of Christianity, don't we? Sign me up for Christianity because it gets me into heaven and I get blessings and it makes my life better and I benefit from being a Christian. So sign me up for that. I want that. But the version of Christianity that Jesus presents us with is a version that causes us to be inconvenienced at times. To realize that life isn't just about us. It's a call to follow him. It's not a call to do things. He longs to have a relationship with us. And when we have that relationship with him, he transforms us into who he wants us to be. And it's not about us saying, I got to stop doing these things and I got to start doing those things. I haven't read my Bible in, in two days. God is so upset with me. I've got to start doing that. I haven't prayed enough this week. I've got to start doing that. I, I haven't fasted this year. I can't believe I haven't fasted. I know I've, I've read the Bible talks about fasting. I've got to make sure I start fasting, but I love food. That's so hard. I don't know how I'm going to start there. I, I've missed some weeks of, of church. I haven't shared Jesus. I, I haven't done this. All the things that we think make great Christians cause us to view ourselves in unhealthy ways. And here's the truth. You can do all those things and not have a relationship with Jesus. Can't you read your Bible? You can read a Bible and not be a Christian. You can pray and not even be a Christian. You can give money, be generous, and not be a Christian. You can invite people to church and not be a Christian. You can sit in the seat of a church every week and not be a Christian, yet some people would look at you and say, hey, expert in the law. Got it all together. And Jesus says, leave your life fishing and come follow me and I will make you into what I want you to be. He doesn't say, come follow me and, and I'm going to tell you some things you need to do and if you'll do them, you're going to be one of my greatest disciples and I just believe that the first step for us into becoming everything that God wants us to be is to learn to have compassion for who Jesus has compassion for and to learn to take pity on the people in our lives that need us who are hurting it'll cost us something it'll be inconvenient it's not about what we can get from the situation, but it's about what we can give. It's not about who is our neighbor, but it's about whose neighbor are we. And we can love God, and we can love our neighbors. And that can be an incredible Christian. This week I got news that 
one of my high school friends was killed in a motorcycle accident. His name was Derek. We played ball together in high school, and um, he worked with uh, someone here in the church, and so he'd been to our church a couple of times since we started the church. He didn't live here in town, but I had seen him uh, a couple of years ago. We got together and, and played basketball Thirty-three years old, his life is—it's ended. He had his whole life ahead of him. He's got two kids. He's gone. His life's over. His life is called into account. And I went to the funeral just to support the family and pay my honors and. His brother got onto the stage and did an incredible job sharing about his little brother. And one of the things that struck me that just resonated with my heart was when he talked about how his brother was ready. He was ready to go. He was ready to meet Jesus. He was ready for death. But he made this statement, you know, I've never seen my little brother walk the aisle of a church. I don't, I've never seen him. He's never told me that he walked down to the front of a church and gave his life to Jesus. And this week, I've got to get together with his brother Jerome because I've got a story that I need to share with him. See, my senior year of high school... I got talked into playing football. I was the kicker. Good thing I wasn't a kicker for Georgia yesterday. I wouldn't be here today. I got talked into kicking field goals at Stevens County High School, and Derek was a junior. He was a running back, and he was a great player. He was a fun guy. He was energetic. He was the life of the party. He was always making people laugh. He was always encouraging to people. But one Friday night, I noticed that Derek wasn't himself. And every Friday night we would walk the field as we would stretch and just review things in our heads. And we would all walk the field and we'd go back to the field house to prepare for the game. And as we were walking the field, I just noticed that Derek was off by himself. He wasn't with his usual set of friends playing and joking and just something inside of me just said go talk to Derek as I made my way to Derek he didn't want to talk he was obviously hurting something was heavy on his heart and I just said Derek man what's going on what's happening and he didn't give me all the details but there was something going on in his family that had him hurting he had he had experienced some pain inside of his family, and I don't know all the details. But we made our way all the way down the field, and we had turned around, and we had started coming back this way, and just something in my heart just said, he needs, he needs Jesus. Just share Jesus with him. Just tell him that Jesus can get him through any situation, and Jesus loves him no matter what he's going through in his life. And as we walked back down the field, I began to say, Derek, listen, man, 
I can't give you a magic solution to make all your pain go away and I can't fix everything in your life, but I just need to make sure that you know that Jesus loves you. And he will be with you through anything. And all you have to do is accept a free gift of salvation. And I began to explain to him what that looked like. And when we got to the 50-yard line, I just stopped. And I said, Derek, would you like to pray and ask Jesus into your heart? And he began to weep. He said, I'd love to. And at the reservation, the football stadium at Stevens County High School, it was October of 1997, I knelt on the 50-yard line with Derek Brinkley, and I prayed with him to accept Christ. If you've ever prayed with someone personally to accept Christ, you know that there's no feeling like it. But you also know on a day that they go they enter into eternity, that there is a a confidence that you have that God did something through you that will last far beyond anything you could ever do in this life or accomplish. And I can't wait to get together with Jerome and say, I know that you have no idea if your brother ever walked the aisle of a church, but he walked a football field. And he gave his heart to Jesus. And, and I don't know that he always did the right things. None of us do. And I don't know that he always lived what would be considered a Christian life based on his lifestyle. And, and he wasn't perfect from that moment on. But I just believe that because I was sensitive enough to see someone who was in need and tend to their needs that their life forever has been changed. What if, what if I would have just said, God, man, we're getting ready for a football game. He don't want to hear nothing about Jesus right now. What if I would have just said, I'll talk to him later, and then I got busy and never spoke to him. What if I would have just said, no. Then I would have sat at a funeral, and I wouldn't have had the personal confidence about Derek's eternity. And the question for you is will you stop acting like a Christian and simply be one? Forget all your rules and your regulations and everything that you think is necessary to have a great relationship with Jesus. And just start to listen to the Holy Spirit and get to know God and begin to talk to Him and develop an intimate relationship with Him where you pursue Him and you love Him and you're sensitive to what He asks of you and He leads you and guides you and you hear Him speak to you and tell you things that you should do. And you might not always get everything right in life, but you will know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm so tired of people who act like Christians because they somehow think that if they act the part, then they'll fool enough people or even God into getting into heaven as if that's the goal of our life. 
There is so much more to be experienced here on this earth than just living for a moment when we die and getting to go to heaven. See, we can be a neighbor to the people in our lives that need us. And so I want to ask you a simple question as we end our time together. Whose neighbor are you? Who are you called to love right now? It's a given that you need to love God if you want to call yourself a follower of Jesus. We do that through prayer. We do that through reading the scripture. But who are you called to love right now? And the answer is everyone in your path. And as you go to work and the stressful environments and the decisions that have to happen and people lose their cool and it's evident that they're hurting. If we could see their spirit, they'd be laying on the side of a road, beat up, left for dead. How can we care for those people in our lives and love those people in our lives enough that God would allow us to partake in his mission in the earth? And if you'll love God, and if you'll love others, and everything else will come. But let's not put up fronts and let's not act as if we're more spiritual than we are. Because we're only fooling ourselves if that's our approach to Christianity. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking more about what it means to stop acting like a Christian and specifically two Sundays from now, It's going to be a Sunday that we're specifically going to invite people who are unchurched, who don't know Jesus, to to make a decision to allow Jesus to be the Lord of their life. And I want to encourage you, specifically on that Sunday, the 28th of September, to invite people to come and hear the good news that's found in Jesus Christ that can forever change their life. Because you just may not know when they'll be taken from us. And together, I think that we can make a difference in their life and be used by God. So the 28th, would you just do me a favor and specifically find someone to invite to come to church and pray for them that that would be the day that they would accept Christ personally.